Youth ministry can always use some big ideas. Ideas that are faithful to relational ministry, but also provide some crazy, fun, and life-giving resources for youth leaders, youth in leadership, and the church. Now that's religion. This is the Big Ideas in Youth Ministry Podcast. Your source for information, discussion, and feedback in youth ministry of all shapes and sizes. Now, here are your hosts, Michelle Thomas-Bush and Cliff Haddocks. Don't just talk about it, be about it. This is a quote from our guest today, Dr. Eddie Moore, who will be giving us some guidance and wisdom on how to do the hard work towards being uh, not just not racist, but anti-racist. And we'll talk a bit about those differences, I would imagine. I am Cliff Haddix, and I'm here today with Michelle Thomas-Bush, and we're going to be your hosts for this episode of the Big Ideas in Youth Ministry podcast. It's good to be together, Cliff. It's good to see you. Yes, and you know this is an important conversation right now. Um, the issue of race is coming up. It shows up in debates. It shows up uh, in our Facebook feeds, and sometimes uh, the conversation is less constructive than others, and sometimes it's more constructive than others. But uh, you know, the church has got to be involved in this, and not just the church, but for the world, as we seek to be our our best selves, living in community. I totally agree, Cliff, and. So today we welcome our guest, Dr. Eddie Moore. We're glad that you're here with us. It's good to be with you again. Uh, Sister Michelle, always a pleasure to see your smiling face. And Brother Cliff, nice to meet you for the first time. And hopefully this is not the last time. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Okay. Well, let's, let's, let's break down some for those who don't know who you are fully. Uh, you're the director of the Privilege Institute and the National White Privilege Conference, uh, which engages people in research, education, action, and leadership through workshops, conferences, publications, and collaborative partnership and relationships. And, um, you, you, one of the things that Michelle first told me about was your 21 day race, uh, challenge. And could you tell me more about that? Yeah, well, uh, as a public speaker, as a presenter, as a school teacher, actually, coach, which is all of what I like to describe myself as, uh, you always want to, when you're done with folks, working with folks, engaging folks, give them things they can do afterwards. And I found my old handout. I used to have an old handout that had about six things I'd suggest to people. And so um, uh, always operating from that framework of, what are you going to do next now that the yeah. work is done? And so, um, I mean, just. Well, what, does the work ever get done? <laughs> I mean, some people are really, you know, one once they're done with the workshop, some people are really motivated and inspired and want to do some stuff to keep going. And uh, educators primarily, which I work a lot with, uh, they, after the workshops, they want to know, okay, what can I do in my classroom? What can I do with my kids? What can I do at home? And so that's always been a question that I've been facing. And as a part of my presentations, I used to have this little list that would give some suggestions. And um, I used to feel like things were so challenging in our nation. You need to do something every day for 365 days. And that challenge just seemed so daunting and overwhelming. And so I think knowing and noticing that people were feeling a bit overwhelming, overwhelmed, and I was overwhelming people with that request, with that challenge, that's when I began to think about, talk to people about this 21 days, something more manageable. 
And so the habit building research, the habit building idea, 21 days is what I came up with. And I really partnered with Debbie Irving and now Marguerite Penick Parks. And together we've produced this racial equity challenge. And really the goal is uh, once you're done with that session, that, that, that workshop, that, 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 that lesson, um, that sermon, I mean, there is something you can do afterwards if you're interested. There's no reason you can't do one thing a day. And the goal is to build a habit. Like every day you spend a day on the planet, you do something towards social justice, towards equity, around issues of race, inclusion, belonging. And the great thing is, and I have to admit this on your show, 21 days is actually not true. Mm. Uh, so we've now discovered that it takes about 62 days or so to really build the habit. So now I'm saying to people, the 21 day action plan is actually just the beginning. The start. That's right. That's right. That's it's it. Boot camp. So it's the boot camp. That's it. That's it. So that's kind of how it got started. That's where well, we are now. And now we're looking at automation, technology, uh, you know, really was great to work with um, uh, Sister Michelle and some of the folks in her network to create something around faith and young people. Um, and so tell us how many different challenges do you have? Like the 21 day challenge we worked on was for youth and around issues of faith, but, but you have several of them that people can engage in. I'm going to have to admit to y'all something that you may not know about me. I'm a dreamer. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big dreamer. Uh, Sister Michelle, I may have more in the works than we have yeah. actually done right now. That's but awesome. right now done, we have a First Nation 21-day action plan. We have the Youth, Faith, and Race 21-day action plan. We have an action plan for educators. We have our general action plan that's just open to anyone interested. We also have a self-care action plan as well. And so uh, we have about four or five, I think, right now live on site uh, on my website, on Debbie Irvin's website. And we got some really good ones cooking. I'm looking at doing one for black men because oh, of these shootings, some of the situations that are going on in our society is really addressing young black males, but black men as well. Uh, in a real focused way, uh, looking at doing one around recovery, because uh, I'm someone in long-time recovery. So really looking at, not saying that this will get you sober, but if you're looking for some things to partner with your journey as you turn your life around, we're trying to do something uh, around that. Trying to do something for football coaches, for athletics, for people who are in the athletic realm, because a lot of times they have such great relationships with their kids it's the one time they can really get kids talking about these issues. And so really want to try to uh, give some coaches, some, some, some folks in athletics, some, some ways that they can engage kids around these topics. Because as y'all can imagine, especially with the race issues, sometimes athletics is the one place that kids from different communities come together. And it's a real opportunity, I think, to build relationships beyond just being teammates. So exactly. those and that's, I think there's, yeah, that, go ahead, Cliff, you were going to comment. I was going to say, all of these things that you're talking about, Dr. Moore, it, it occurs to me that in order to be able to have the type of conversations you're talking about in all these different areas, you have to get into a position 
of comfortable vulnerability with each other. And how do you get started into that space of vulnerability to have the real conversations like you're talking about here? Yeah, yeah. Part of it is the uh, the creativity and the understanding of the different learning styles and also appreciating the uniqueness and the diversity of the community. I think when you have a mindset of inclusion, of inviting different perspectives and different ways of learning, like we do with spoken word, with music, with articles, with TV shows or TV clips, with movie clips, with YouTube, right? Like it's a, it's a community of learning that's diverse that I think contributes to allowing people to get involved in a way that um, opens them up because they see their ways of learning represented it. And hopefully some of the things that they're interested in also a part of the learning community. So I think those are the ways that we see people have success. Well, and I'm going to quote you back to you in that you said um, on a call, we have to ditch our comfort zones. And I think that's exactly where you start is you have to come to the table, like Cliff said, ready to be vulnerable. And and I love you. You said that ditch your comfort zones. Um, and I think we have to think about what's what's uncomfortable right now. One of the reasons we wanted to have this conversation is exactly for what you said that you get to the end of a workshop and you don't know what to do next. And I think that's for youth leaders and educators and pastors. We may have done the 21 day challenge, but it's not over. The work is not over. So what's next? I mean, I'm, I hear you saying that um, you may take 62 days and we did have a middle school youth who did 21 days. And she said at the end, she just wanted to do it again. Yeah. Um, and so she did. But I want to ask, like, what does a anti-racist society look like? What's your dream for this world? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I just want to re-emphasize, reiterate, as your student took on another 21 days and hopefully another, that the research is clear now, that it is not Dr. Eddie saying 62 days. It's what the research around habit building, skill building is saying. And that's the framework that I really approach this that's important is it's about building skills. And so if you're going to get better, if we want a better world, if we want a better place that we live in, better communities, better uh, schools, I mean, I think to me, it's going to require a more skillful community, skillful participation around these difficult issues. So my dream, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't dream of Zootopia uh, <laughs> someday, um, but I, I do hope for a kind of space and place, a kind of community space where when things like George Floyd goes down, right, people don't burn the town down because they're so frustrated. They're so hurt. They feel like, as MLK used to say, the riot is the voice of the unheard. And so I'm really advocating for creating spaces and places where people feel like that they can come and be heard and be a part of the solutions. And I think you hit it on the head. I mean, uh, 
no one needs to be leading this like the faith community, and especially young people. I think that's what I discovered in our collaboration is we got some good young folks out there, but right now, you know, I and they're ready I, to do the work. Oh yes, yep. and ready to have the conversations when a lot of times the adults are trying to stop the conversation because they're not comfortable. Um, you know that the the the, uh, the each generation in my in my hope is that makes more and more progress and that sometimes makes the older generations a little uncomfortable <laughs> because they, they if if it's okay then it should be okay right but you know we 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 have young people that are asking hard questions we have young people that are that are exploring uh hard truths and you know unfortunately some get dismissed some get shut down um when they really want to ask hard questions. You know, I, I, I mean, when I, I, I think back to um, my time as a pastor and when a kid in a children's sermon, I said, do you have any questions? And this girl looks me dead in the eye and she's eight and says, why is there war? You know, yeah. you know the, the kids have hard questions and we got to be willing to go on some hard, hard conversations with them. So, Dr. Moore, here's the question. When they do have these this hunger and this desire um, to work to racial inequality and or racial equality is what they're working for, but they recognize and can talk about the inequality they see and experience. How can we as the church help them? What's the next step uh, for us? Yeah. I mean, I think the real challenge for faith is um, truth. Um, that the role that the church has played in some of the greatest crimes against humanity, I think is still um, not a part of the conversation. And I think the way the church begins when working with young people, inspiring young people around these issues, particularly race-based issues, uh, but I would argue gender, sexual orientation, I, I mean, go on down the mm-hmm. line. Right. Truth is critical. And I think the role that faith, white supremacy, uh, oppression have been so intertwined that I, I see a visual faith just deciding I got to leave this family in order for me to be who I need to be in this world. I got to disconnect from that old participation, that old place that I used to be so popular and so familiar and so utilized. And so um, I think I'd love to see an end to white supremacy, um, white dominance. Amen. And I think that this it, is really it's almost this painful. Is that, faith. It's almost painful that you have to say that, that, mm-hmm. you know, we'd love to see an end to that. I mean, that's almost heartbreaking that, that we have to acknowledge it's still prevalent in our society and, and there are threads of it through church, through life, through family. Mm-hmm. Um, what a great hope that we can end that. Yeah. But we also, and, and this is for myself, I mean, this is, this is my, my thing that I work on is that I can't fall into the trap that so many of our good Christian brothers and sisters fall into where I say, well, at least I'm not sinning that bad. Yeah. At least I'm not that. And the yeah. truth is, I've got to own my own peace in this and I've got to work on my own peace in this without just saying, well, so long as that's not happening, everything's okay. It's like, no, there's my own piece of this puzzle 
that I need to very uncomfortably be willing to unpack and have the conversations about and be in a vulnerable space about um, as you know, as someone who grew up in, in, in West Virginia and from a school that was almost everybody looked like me, you know, I, I have to go through the work of exploring what that has done to my worldview and what I need to do to work on it um, without just saying, well, thank goodness I'm not the KKK. Well, yeah, okay, that's great that I'm not, but where is my piece in this and how do I have that conversation and where do I start to unpack that? without feeling like um, it's just, you know, it, it was no big deal. Yeah, I mean, the thing you learn as an educator, the seeds we plant today, we may never see them bloom. You know, it's the hardest part of my job as an educator. And so I think that um, uh, one of my real calls for faith in the community uh, uh, is to really uh, realize that there are some pancakes we'll never flip over. There are going to be some folks. There are going to be some folks out there, right? But we are going to at least stand strong in naming and naming and really claiming what it is that we want to accomplish around these issues. And the way that we do that, I think, successfully is naming the challenges, the participation in some of the ugly but talking about the beautiful mural, the, the the beautiful landscape we want to put forth moving forward, and and that's where I sometimes feel frustrated. You know, like like if if we could just say what it was back in the day, so that we can create something better today and tomorrow, I think that'd be so much easier for us. But um, uh, it it seems like so many people are still unwilling to name that. But um, uh, I, I'm looking forward to and, and appreciate places like Myers Park as an example. You know, for me, you know, I know every place has still got stuff. You know, I'm not saying that. I'm not that naive. But at least, I mean, I found a place and space that's saying, you know what? White supremacy is real. That's right. And and we want to dismantle it. And I think our young people are there. They're ready to do the work. They are, you know, uh, fighting for they're looking at issues of all kinds. They're looking at how do we have strategies um, to work against uh, the systems. And I think they have unlimited creativity for that. So as yeah. youth leaders, I think we have a space and a responsibility, an obligation to our young people. What I do like about the 21 day challenge and, and the habits of uh, Foreman is that it makes it easier that if you do it for 21 days, maybe that's not your habit. Maybe you need to do three of them. But after 21 days, it makes it a little bit easier to have the conversation and to notice things. Yeah. And that's, I think, what you're saying is the first step. Um, and so maybe if if a youth group has done the 21-day challenge this summer, um, and again, anybody can jump in at any time to it, but if you've done it, it might be good to come back to it and say, Let's do it again and form some small groups to have conversation about what this means for us. Yeah. I mean, Michelle, you said it, you hit it on the head. I mean, anything you do over and over and over again, you get better at it. I mean, mm -hmm. if you're going to be a jerk and you decide to be a jerk to the new year, like you'll be a better jerk by January 1st. Right. I mean, you'll get better at it. Right. <laughs> I mean, well, and you won't think about it. It'll be natural. It'll, it'll come automatic. Natural. That's right. Social justice, equity, inclusion it works the same way and, and 
imagine if it's, uh, if, you know, our work of anti-racism is just habit, then, then it makes the other things our brain is freed up to have creativity about recreating some systems and some structures. And, and that's, uh, that would be amazing. Yeah, and I think what I liked about the plan we co-created, we collectively worked on, that you can actually combine justice and faith together. Like, your verse can be a part of your 21-day. Yeah, right? it's your faith practice. Right? right, your song can be mm -hmm. a part of your reflection, right? And like you said, you can do it individually, or you could partner with somebody the next time, or you could do it with a group of people the third time, and that way you'll have your 60-plus days in. Tell us about the White Privilege Conference. I know it, there's one coming up that's virtual. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, White Privilege Conference is really that place and space that we wanted to, you know, create that gives people what I call the opportunity to work on CrossFit diversity. <laughs> right, like the Love highest that. level of diversity work, which I felt like in the curriculum, many times there's 101, 201, uh, even 401 for language, for math, for science. Uh, but for diversity, it felt like we had to keep everybody at 101, kumbaya. And so that's really one thing I wanted to create with the White Purpose Conference is a place and space where you could tackle tough issues like white supremacy, white privilege, and other forms of oppression. Secondly, though, uh, 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 people doing diversity work should have a place they can go and do their work. All right? Yeah. So the White Privilege Conference is also a training a, a opportunity for people who do diversity training, diversity work, to come to do their work. Because if you're hiring a diversity trainer, you should ask that trainer, hey, what's the last workshop you attended? Where'd you get your training? And so I think that that's another important thing that we're trying to accomplish there. And then lastly, even though it's the White Privilege Conference, we look at privilege comprehensively. I mean, the fact that we can talk about faith and feel like we got some commonality there, that's a real privilege. There are some places that yeah, talk, you can't about talk about faith on, <laughs> on, on the social media may actually put your life in danger. Yeah. Right? Or some faith people don't want to hear anything about. No, it may put your life in danger. I mean, uh, uh, the conference is really designed to examine how everybody has privilege. It just manifests itself in very different ways. And having privilege is not always bad if you understand it. So those and, are the kind of things. And if that you use it, I think a piece That's of right. one piece that about white privilege too is um, we have some responsibility. So we don't want to work to maintain that privilege um please hear that but acknowledging we have some privilege means we need we have some responsibility to do some work with it and to use our voice in those places of privilege um to start dismantling the, that white privilege i think but yeah. i think you have to acknowledge you have it and sometimes it requires a little bit more yeah our motto at the nonprofit is if you have a lot you should do a lot Amen. And I think you're exactly right. Again, we're saying everybody's got privilege. That doesn't make you a bad person. In fact, if you understand the power of your privilege, the the comprehensiveness of your privilege, then you can do some powerful things, some comprehensive things. 
And so it's not designed to villainize people, demean people. We're trying to empower, equip people, and really um, uh, uh, um, 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 hopefully challenge and inspire us to be in collaboration as well. Mm-hmm. Partnership, I think, is key, too. Partnership is key. I think we we do live in a, a society where people want credit for things, and um, that goes against this work. It's really about partnership and sharing sharing the story together because we are one body. And as people of faith, we'd say we're the body of Christ in this world, or we're part of God's creation, and and we have a responsibility to all of our neighbors, our brothers and sisters. Well, we were talking a little bit about John Lewis as we came on. You know, I think for me, if if everybody should read his letter to the people mm. that he wrote, you yes. know, his last thing writing before he passed on, before he moved on uh, to a better place, I think it's just a real testimony to just the ultimate life and sacrifice yes. for good trouble. And that's how I want to model the rest of my life. That's how I want to live the rest of my life. A faith-based brother that was, like you said, all about not himself, yeah. but ourselves. Say more about the good trouble. Uh, I love that. And I know that, you know, part of that is uh, I like you using more trouble. We need to get in some more trouble. Because <laughs> yeah. that's any more yeah. I like to say more good trouble. More Absolutely. good trouble. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's 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 what Lewis was saying. I mean, this is where I picked up this language. This idea is from his last talks as well as his last writings where he's really challenging us, inspiring us to get into more good. That's what the pursuit of civil rights was all about. Trouble. Mm-hmm. Good trouble. Right? That's yeah. what Fighting yeah. racism, sexism, homophobia is all about getting in trouble, good trouble. That the actual good that you do from getting trouble is where the combination comes from. And that's 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 how I'm living my life with a little extra. I want to give him more good trouble. I love that. I love that. I, I have a picture of John Lewis. Uh, loved it when he did a sit-in. I mean, I think he's 80 years old sitting on the floor of the of the house you know, making a statement. And I thought that that's a statement and image I will always have that if you're 80 years old and you could sit down for hours and hours to make a statement, then, then I certainly can do more in my place. That, that is maintaining the habit right there. That is maintaining the habit of always doing the work right there. That's it right there. Right. That's it. I'd like to say, uh, uh, brother, uh, the good John Lewis got his start with the 21 day action plan, but I can't, but I'm yeah. hoping some young person out there who's starting, who's That's participating right. can be the future of what we now see and have learned from the great life of John Lewis. Yeah. Well, and I think one thing, um, I know one thing that has come about from the 21 day challenge for my young people is that they're reading more, you know, they're looking at articles they hadn't, they didn't know existed before. So a lot of the sports players, um, tell me that magazine that, that, undefeated. Uh, yeah, that, uh, they now are checking out all the players, <laughs> uh, statements and tributes and yep. conversation. And, and that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that is. That is. I mean, that's that's the other thing that's been really great about the plan, too, Michelle, is um, uh, we now get contributions from other people who read something, see something, and say, hey, have you heard of this? Or, hey, have you seen this? That's really a great part of what we want to accomplish, too, is the plan is organically evolving and 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 bringing about lots of participation yeah. from all over so that's been exciting great okay tell us about your book okay uh which one uh so we uh we got the guide for white women who teach black boys which has been doing well and really designed to do exactly what the title says uh we now have the companion book coming out uh at the new year called teaching beautiful brilliant black girls uh, we also put together a book called Everyday White People, which uh, uh, really speaks to uh, assisting young white folks with some role models when it comes to social justice. Most young people are trying to learn from John Lewis or MLK. I mean, all great people, you know, Maxine Waters. I mean, some of the social justice black folks primarily. And what we wanted to do is create some white role models who are still alive. You know, so you don't have to wait till they die before you can be inspired by them. So that's what the Everyday White People book is all about. Uh, also, we just um, put together a book about uh, people who want to be public speakers called mm. the uh, Diversity Cookbook. And these are all the lessons I've learned over 20 years plus of doing diversity presentations that I wish I had known 20 years ago when I got started. Right. And so a lot of my friends and colleagues uh, together have created this text, which is really cool as well. I'm working on a kid's book uh, right Great. now, uh, as well as, uh, you know, somebody's got to tell the Eddie Moore Jr. story. So nobody yeah. better to tell it than Eddie Moore Jr. So I got a couple other things cooking. And a the few hopper, things. Yeah, yeah. Those are some of the books. Thank y'all for a chance to let me uh, talk about those. Well, where's the landing site for where we can find all of this? Is there a specific website we should go to to start to get the challenges, to get access to the books, et cetera? Where do we go? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Michelle mentioned my last name. Why settle for less when you can get more? Uh, so uh, the great thing about uh, my social media feed, all the places you can find me, it's my name, eddymorejr.com. And so if you type that in, you'll get my website, you'll get Twitter, you'll get Instagram, you'll get uh, also White Privilege Facebook. Conference. Yeah, you'll get to the White Privilege Conference, you'll get to the Privilege Institute. That's one of the things that I really, you know, want to say to folks, if they can, you know, we have a nonprofit. And as you can imagine, I mean, think about this, Cliff, uh, Michelle, I mean, for 20 plus years, I felt like a kid with an imaginary friend that nobody was 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 believing was true. I mean, in 1999, that's when the White Privilege Conference started. And when right. I was saying to people, we got to be talking about white supremacy, I mean, people were literally looking at me as if I was You're making crazy. this up. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, you got to be quiet about those things 20 years ago. So, you know, um, the White the Privilege Institute, our nonprofit, is really our chance to keep our program programmatic themes and programs going for the next 25 years. I got a feeling based on what's going on in the nation today, our work will be needed for at least 25 more years. I hope it's a lot less, but I know that the work you're doing uh, is necessary and will keep going on for another 25 
50 years, but hopefully um, that ideal world um, that we dream of in an anti-racist society will come about in the next five years. Let's hope. Let's be hopeful. Yeah, I mean, I th- I tell people uh, it's a real privilege to be hopeful and not do anything. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, that's why I don't believe in optimistic. Now, I'm not a pessimistic person. I'm in long-time recovery, you know, 20-plus years, an old crackhead with a Ph.D. It's hard to bounce back from crack, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, that's when I know something greater than me is a part of this world for me. You know, my my foundation of faith is strong because I know it's brought me out of the darkest moments. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, amen. Uh, so, um, uh, 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 what I'm saying is I'm not pessimistic because I've overcome a lot. So that's not my spirit either. So I had to come up with a new word. Not optimistic, not pessimistic. I'm what I call pistomistic. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Pistomistic means you're optimistic, but you're doing stuff. And so that's where I'm trying to push, especially young people. I mean, less, this is where the 21 day action plan comes in, right? I'm okay. We, if we believe things are going to get better, what's your evidence of work though? Yeah. Yeah, let's get to work. That's you right. don't get to day 21 unless you do day one. So day one is today. That's right. Amen. And yeah. to build a habit, it has to be in a row and it has to be challenging. And so what we're trying to do, this is the greatest social justice gift to the world that I can give. It's free. All those plans are free. It doesn't cost you anything to get started. All right? But Thank you. That, uh, what a uh, gift. What we're saying is, you know, we're going to need action if we're going to make the world a better place. And I think the moment for faith is here. Amen. We're facing some of the greatest challenges we've ever seen in our lifetime, y'all. Think about mm-hmm. what we, we've witnessed in just the last six months around race, uh, uh, around pandemic. And definitely you can't say those two without thinking about faith as well. And yeah. I think this is our time. For me, I'm the most excited I've ever been. I keep describing this as the Super Bowl of social justice. Yeah. Right? Like it's this heartbreaking, is- but it is it is a a great there's some energy behind where we're going, I think. Heartbreaking we're, every day. We're facing some of the greatest challenges that the folks of the civil rights face, not in that violent nature. Well, but definitely in reference to some psychological um, and um, uh, disparities, and in some cases, people facing outright murder. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think we have to be honest about that that painful place that exists for a lot of people. That's right. That's right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Your quote, the real challenge for us is to start with the truth. That's right. Right. Well, thank you. Appreciate y'all. Amen. Thank you so much. This has been the Big Ideas in Youth Ministry Podcast. Join us in the Big Ideas in Youth Ministry Facebook group to be part of the ongoing conversation. 